Hiya, and welcome to episode, I think it's 16, of How Not, the not-so-brand-new or shiny podcast hosted by me, Luca Manning. And me, Kim McCary. As always, our podcast is here to remind you to always be good troublemakers. Think big and ask how not. We are back, refreshed, revived. Yeah, recharged. Recharged. And we've got out of London for the day. Yeah, we've come to the beach, haven't we? Yeah, sunning it up, not so much. The rain's falling down, but it's very nice to be out of the, the big smoke and in lovely Kent. Yeah. Why are we in Kent? Well, we have come to to spend the day with someone very interesting and lovely and talk about a lot of things. A lot. Uh, hi, Adam. Hello. This is Adam Jeans. And, well... Why are we here, Adam? <laughs> because you said, we'd like to interview you, please. Yes. And you said... Then You're right, that's absolutely. fine. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you two know each other already. Yes. We do. Yes, intimately. Yes. Intimately. Mm-hmm. All the details. Mm. We've... Uh, Ad- Adam is my boss. Brilliant. In another life. Yeah. yeah. Not today, though. No. <laughs> so you can say what you want. <laughs> No, no, we're, we're really, really crossing boundaries, you know. Yeah. Really, really. Work, work, and, work and life boundaries have all They've all just splurged into Merged into one. Exactly. But, um, yeah, the minute that we figured out that this could be a great episode, it got us very excited. There's lots to talk about today, but um, Adam is a wonderfully interesting human being that we're really happy to have. So. Yeah, and he makes good coffee. Makes great coffee. Yeah. I'm buzzing now. After that, yeah. it was very tasty. Thanks for that. Luca said in the car, do you think Adam will have coffee? And I said, well, we're going home. If he yeah, 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 we're, we're literally going to turn, turn back um, yeah. after a two-hour drive. But no, it was all good. We had great coffee and everything's going to be okay now. So this is going to be our first two-parter. Yeah, yeah, a double one. A double whammy. We just did so much, so much stuff to talk about. Yeah. That we thought, I mean, it might might even be a triple, depending on... It could be a series, who it knows? It could be a series. A <laughs> branch, a break-off <laughs> series. The Adam Jeans How Not Podcast collab <laughs> series. Exactly. Um, we don't know, it depends how much stuff we record. Mm-hmm. But um, we're going to start um, where all good things start, which is gay pride. Yes, absolutely. Queerness. And... This is really interesting. It was very interesting for me because I really love talking about queer history, the roots of movement here around the world and just allows me to personally kind of get better in touch with, you know, who I am, where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And Adam is all this amazing stuff from from his time spent um, as as an organiser. In, in London involved with Pride and yeah just tell us a bit about that well what was your first experience of Pride actually because your own kind of well, I think probably some, sometime in the in the mid 80s I think right I don't really remember I mean I remember going down there and it being chaos but then um, there was a big march and it went to a park in those days it would march through central London so we're talking about 85, 86 yeah mm. it marched through central London and um the march would actually end up in the park. So what happened was you'd start at sort of like, uh, I don't know, it was either the embankment or it was um, um, Hyde Park or something like that, and you'd just walk for miles and <laughs> miles. And Nothing say, changes. You know, it's, it's, the, it's like these streets that you've never heard of and yeah. will never walk down ever again <laughs> to arrive at a park that you probably won't go back to. Yeah, I think in those totally. days it was, it was Kennington and things right. like that. 
There was a very famous one, which I didn't attend, which was in Jubilee Gardens, which is now this sort of rather nice landscaped bit of land mm. next to County Hall, uh, when um, Divine oh, came down the river on a barge. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you think you're a man, but you're only a boy. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. That sort of so that, and of course, everybody remembers that one. And those are the glory days of the GLC when, when uh, Ken was in charge the first time round. <laughs> Uh, and um, and then, of course, you know, the end of the 80s, uh, the beginning of the 90s, there was always a big problem with Pride that it seemed to be sort of struggling to to really find its history. Because the, the first thing to say about it is it was founded, obviously, as a protest yeah. march. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the, first, the first Pride in the UK was, like, you know, in 72, walking down... Um, uh, Oxford Street, probably many more police officers than there were yeah, yeah. It was almost like one-on-one, it would seem. Um, I wasn't there at the time, but I have heard. And, and uh, as, as things developed, there was uh, obviously Section 28, which was putting a big break on all of all the gay stuff, all the, all the LGBT stuff that you could imagine being done. And Pride was um, kind of, I think, struggling to come to terms with that. And and the way I got involved is because there was this organisation that organised London Pride, which was called, it's a ridiculous name, it was called LAGPOC, which was the London, <laughs> no, sorry, the Lesbian and Gay Pride Organising Committee. Right. LAGPOC. What a mouthful. Nice. They decided to call themselves LAGPOC Limited, just Oops, to sort right. of just to mix, mix it up a bit, you know, and become a... Become a um, a company and when you read the cuttings because I am a bit of a historian of these things when you read the cuttings you see these, these journos in the gay papers as we used to call them in the 90s the gapers mm. <laughs> uh, um, sort of going oh my god it's becoming a company it's becoming corporate it's becoming yeah, corporate yeah. Like this. but actually it was purely um, a good move because if anything went wrong with pride uh, at all like you know a tent fell on somebody and killed them yeah the individual members of LAGPOC would, in fact, have been sued personally. Yes. Okay. So they needed to come up with a new structure, and they invented this company called LAGPOC Limited, and it, it really started to grow, um, the events. And, in fact, in 92, um, they, they invented this idea of Europride, mm-hmm. and they moved it now to Brockwell Park, and they invented Europride. And the idea was it was going to be a celebration. We were joining the Maastricht, you know, it was Maastricht Treaty. We were joining the single market. We were doing all these things, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So let's make a big Europe, pan-European pride type event, human rights at the centre of it and all that sort of thing. And it went immensely well. It was huge and um, far too big for the organisation because literally it fell over sideways and went into bankruptcy. Right. <laughs> right. Now, at that point, I'd been um, a sister of perpetual indulgence, right. which is another world. Yeah, we're going to cover that later. Cover that later on. Yeah. So I was a big bucket-rattling you know, um, nun running around and, and pride was sort of like always you know we always use pride for fundraising and also i got got to know the pride people a bit and they also found out that i was um bizarrely and um there is there is a bit of cognitive dissonance in this i was also uh, trained as a tax consultant and a c- accountant right. and they said oh would you mind having a look at the books yeah. just to sort of see it was and I looked at it and it was like you just opened the books and it's like it just went carnage <laughs> it was carnage and I sort of said and I shut the books and I said no sorry it's never going to live you're just going to have to let it go yeah and so the so what then happened was that one of the people who was involved in Lagpoc a man called Teddy Witherington who was the secretary um said okay 
let's um, form a new company, clean, clean uh, slate, you know, the whole thing from, from scratch, let's reorganise, you know, pride, etc. Because obviously this festival is now huge, it's yeah. going to need to be developed, etc., etc. And um, we formed this company which was called The Pride Trust Limited. Mm-hmm. And it was um, maybe about five or six of us at the start. And um, because Lagpok had gone bankrupt, um, they had a financial problem, which was that nobody in the uh, lesbian and gay community wanted to give pride any money mm-hmm. because they'd all lost out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a big problem getting um, all the you know, bars and club, clubs and pubs and people like that to donate. This is mm. the most important thing we needed was money just to get the thing going. The first thing we used to do every year at, at Christmas was a thing called Winter Pride. It was happening in, in uh, the University of London Union. And it was like a, it's, like a, it's like a big sort of bazaar that we'd, we'd just right. do, like have a party and that sort of thing. And um, there was this moment where we were all sitting in a room. We'd formed this company. They'd made me the treasurer. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were poor. And we didn't have a lot of money in the bank. We had all these debts. And we had to make a decision about whether we were going to go ahead with Winter Pride or not. Yeah. And it was one of those crucial moments when you say, I think we probably should go ahead with it. And then we went ahead with it. And, oh, my God, we made loads of money. Yeah. And, oh, my God, we ended up organising a festival in 1993, which was the largest gay event in Europe. Wow. Wow. And was that Pride of 93? That was was Pride of 93. And I have here, (laughs) example A, exhibit A. Yeah, here is. We've been having some nice, like, show and tell, which is another lovely thing. For your listeners... Yeah, hear that. The um, the huge the huge brochure, the glorious brochure of Pride '93, which took place. Um, uh, I can't remember the date. We've got a nice logo 19th, here yeah. of words. We've got anger, outrage, safety, love, confrontation. It's interesting because when you were saying just to back back up a little bit about, you know, we in the eighties you had the backdrop of Section Twenty Eight, and we'll still at this point as well, yeah. but. Um, you know, where did it feel when you know you were trying to begin this new company? There's five or six of you, and you're the Pride Trust. What you know, in terms of Pride finding its feet, as did, did it always seem like we know why we have this, and there's a sense of community around it, and we know what our narrative is, and and what you know that kind of thing. Was it purely a financial worry and logistical nightmare, or was it? Was there also a skewing of message? It seems like looking at the brochures, there was a clear community there. You know, was yeah. it was that bit always there? So no, there was. I think it's always the yeah. case. I, I, I always say that every age gets the pride it, it deserves or the right. pride it needs. You know, right. it's, it's, and I would I would say that the turning point was this ninety two event, this this Euro Pride event, which was organised by Nagpok, and um, uh, it was at that. It was at that moment that people realised what we really need is visibility yeah. and as many people on the streets for a Pride event as you possibly can have. Mm-hmm. And that was absolutely the stock in trade of what the Pride Trust was about. So I was, the, I was later made the chair of the organisation, so I was actually technically setting the policy for the, for the, for the, for the company or the, the event. And it struck me that visibility and numbers were absolutely vital. Mm. and there should be as fewer barriers as possible to enable people to come needs and to be, be accessible, part, yeah. part of that um, part of that event so uh, we committed ourselves 
to a free festival, so you didn't pay to come into the festival, mm-hmm. and the march was open to all, and mm-hmm. you basically could just turn up and, and march, mm-hmm. and there was no big deal about you know, whether you, what, you know, what was going on. We did occasionally organise the march so that there would be sections. There was always, at the front of the march, there was always a section for disabled people, of course, uh-huh. but there was then maybe a veterans section, or yeah. there was maybe you know, a section for parents and kids and so on, and you know, we did that. And, we, and I think in some respects we were a little bit ahead of... of, of the time mm. um, I remember when we changed the name of the event to include bisexual and transgender in 96 that there was like enormous yeah I was going to ask about this I mean because I know I was asked to do a Jazz FM conversation on Pride recently and, and Jessica Lauren was taking part as a um, cable player that actually also lives by the seaside and she was talking about you know, the trans inclusion of Pride being something that actually came relatively late in terms of when we think about Pride. And yeah, I guess you were around at that time. How did that feel in that? Was it yeah, no, quite I'm, a big I, turning no, I, point? I, I moved the motion at the, at, the, at the members' meeting to include bisexual and transgender in the title. Mm-hmm. And we had a membership base. So basically the, the, the Pride Trust actually um, had a big membership base. You'd pay, I don't know, £10, whatever it was, I can't remember. And then you were a voting member. Okay, and yeah. uh, it meant that whenever we chose a theme or if we were choosing um, sort of the name of the event, um, uh, whatever, it would have to go to a vote because yeah. then it would have the support of the members of the Pride Trust. And, and the, actually, the, you know, although they, there was a lot of them, they weren't the entire community, but they were a cross-section. Well, yeah. the folks so, that are also going to show up in March, right? Like it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, they were the ones who actually cared about how the thing went on. Yeah, And, yeah. and you know... I have to, you know, I think basically I would, I would say they were relatively, um, uh, what's the word, representative of, of, mm. of the world. They were sometimes quite conservative and we did wonder whether we would get things through. Because mm-hmm. we were, sure. as I say, slightly pushing stuff. But there was, um, at that time, uh, I think it probably was late. At that time, what you had in the UK was this sort of burgeoning queer politics um, uh, it was a kind of a graft from America, <laughs> because yeah. they had a lot of a lot of the pr- previous um, gay rights work uh, in the UK had been sort of uh, centred around a couple of rather um, uh, old organisations. I'm trying to be nice, <laughs> <laughs> or, or let's say veteran organisations, things like the Campaign for, for Homosexual Equality, mm-hmm. and another organisation called Olga, which was the Organisation for Lesbian and Gay Action. <clears throat> and they were they were the ones who actually were fighting Section Twenty Eight. That, yeah. yeah. that was that thing there. Meanwhile, in the states, uh, with the AIDS crisis, and uh, which which clearly in, uh, politicized a whole generation of young queer people. Yeah. Yes. Suddenly, you got ACT UP, which is the AIDS Coalition mm-hmm. to Unleash Power, yeah. and you got Queer Nation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I and outrage was formed in London in nineteen ninety. Now I always say outrage was formed in the image of. CHE and Olga, and it only later became a queer group. Right, sure. And it was like it was like maybe around September 1990. So it was formed in May 1990. I joined it in July, and I clearly remember people coming back from the states, um, and they were like, um, they had this revelation. They were like, they were like, you know, um, Charlton Heston coming down from the from the, <laughs> having having read the Ten Commandments. Yeah. I've got the news to tell you about queer politics. And we were all suddenly queer, queer, queer. And, and this was a big change. This really re- vitalised. I'll get to the point that you made earlier on in a second, but I think it's a useful background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, 
the, the, there was a lot of people who really hated the word queer. And sure. would sort of say, you know, yeah. there was a guy who came to the outrage meeting, this is absolutely true, with a can of petrol and threatened to set himself alight if we didn't stop using the word queer. Oh, goodness me. So that, that, is, um, that is the way it was. Yeah. Anyways, there was the younger generation. I mean, that you could, you could kind of characterise this group of activists as being like, you know, middle-class boys. Sure. <laughs> waving placards and filofaxes. <laughs> <laughs> but but, 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 but they did, they did revitalise everything. And in fact, because I had that background, when I joined the Pride Trust and ended up as, the, as first of all, the treasurer and then as the chair, this was a very strange thing to mm. have a former nun, or indeed never really a former nun. I still am a nun. Yeah. Uh, you know, nun activist. You know, I've, I've been in ACT, ACT UP as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, suddenly I was the chair of this thing called Lesbian and Gay Pride, yeah. which would always traditionally been run as you know, <laughs> as a as a as a nice as a nice uh, committee. You know, like yeah. we'd run a nice event, but that's um, that was. There was this crucial moment in sort of like 93, 94, when really all of the campaign work started to come together. And there was a lot of people saying, well, this has got to be as inclusive as possible. So the key thing was the age of consent vote mm-hmm. in, in 1994. But added to that, there was lots of other demands around uh, workplace rights and uh, parenting rights and things like that. So yeah, it, sure. it was like a very much broader sort of base sort of coming through. And within that was bisexual people and the recognition also in terms of safer sex, the need to include bisexual people in the safer sex message. Of course. And then there was the transgender uh, uh, story as well. But I have to say that that was, compared to now, was totally underdeveloped. As in, we had no analysis around that, but we knew that that was also part of the community and needed to be brought into it. And I was interviewed by several, um, actually mainly academic researchers, asking me about why did Pride change the name to include transgender, because they were really fascinated by the semiotics or something. Yeah, right. of course. Than yeah. By the actual but then also, realities. I guess, like, like if we're looking at people that were affected by the AIDS crisis, like you know, many trans and like gender queer people that were, of course, especially those involved yeah. in like, like street kids and like involved in sex work and stuff like massively affected no. by the AIDS yeah. epidemic mm-hmm. as much as any gay man was, no, yeah, you know? Yeah. So. And I, I, think, I think it's fair to say that I was pretty unenlightened about all of right. that. But mm. I just knew that that was something, you know, instinctively, from an activist point of view, that's what you do to include people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, and that was our bottom line. We wanted to make it as big as possible. So by changing the name, we were making it, sending a signal saying, well, you can, you can come as well. Don't yeah. you know, it's, it's open to you. And ha- when, the, when the vote happened, was... Was there quite a divide? Did it pass easily? Or? Well, no, because the vote, of course, um, happened. Uh, this is the famous um, 21st of February, or whenever it was, uh, 1994, when um, it was like two days or so after Derek Jarman had died. Mm-hmm. And um, people gathered outside the Houses of Parliament as a kind of vigil for Derek Jarman. Yeah. And we were all carrying candles. And um, inside... Um, Edwina Curry um, moved this vote and I think everybody kind of knew that there was two there was two votes basically there was one that was equalizing the age of consent gay men at 16 and one which was going to was compromise motion which was basically to put it to 18 yeah so I think we all kind of knew 
that they weren't going to sure. pass the first one, they're going to pass the second one. But, you know, um, so we nevertheless just you know, sounded off. So we're all, in the, all in, outside the Houses of Parliament and we're all starting to shout. You know, mm-hmm. Everybody's shouting because Stonewall had organised this thing in the, in the House and there was this other organisation which everybody knows about called Outrage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it really is like the Outrage Stonewall. It's the epitome of the clash of tactics between them that night. Yeah, yes. yeah. So you've got Stonewall inside sort of being sort of behind the door sort of saying, leaning, sort of whispering in people's ears saying, you know, you, yeah. should, you should really think about this. And I've never no problems at all, of course, blah, blah, blah. And Outrage outside with placards screaming. Yeah. yeah. Chain you fucking person. And... Um, we were singing. We were singing things like uh, "Lily, Lily, Lily, out, out, out." It was Peter Lily who mm-hmm. was a cabinet minister, and then we had the the Portillo chant, <laughs> which was um, sung to uh, what's it called? Um, Let's all do the conga. Uh-huh. Uh, Portillo is a faggot. Portillo is a faggot. <laughs> la, 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 la. And Stonewall were like, oh they my hated God. it. Of well, course. Like, it's just briefly, like, I mean, this is like queer British politics at this time you had like Stonewall which were like the lobbying group right and very like let's go through all the proper procedures and then outrage were just way more kind of direct action based so what was it like I mean it must have been quite a fiery old time you know like well that night was hilarious as I say I think it was the epitome of all of that because Stonewall rushed around the crowd members of the Stonewall team rushed around the crowd and said just stop, stop, be quiet. They, can, they can hear you in the chamber. <laughs> That's the fucking point. Yeah. And, and everyone just gets loud. And then, of course, the, you know, the, 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 the vote did indeed fall. And I think it fell by a really small number of votes. I think uh-huh. it was really like 18 or 17 or something like that. It was very small. I can't remember the number. Um, and then we just surged across the road and um, screamed and shouted, Lily, 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 out, out, out. <laughs> Stuff like that. And. Um, uh, well, it all fizzled out a bit. I, w- I thought that was sort of like slightly sad kind of... Um, <laughs> slightly sad uh, protest. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, it completely, as I say, summarised what we were going through. So the whole sure. time that I was the chair of the Pride Trust, this was the tension. You had, the, yeah. you had this sort of like desire to be part of society and to... Um, Integrate the society and doing that of kind course. of thing, and, and you had this liberationist movement, yeah. yeah. Well, we were which talking was queer about politics and that sort of before, stuff. like you know, the, about how things come in circles. And I still think this is the discussion that's being had today. It's like, is is it assimilation, yeah, or is it liberation? Yeah, you know, like when we talk about queer rights, like there's there's the kind of slightly more conservative assimilation into heteronormative society that talks about equality yeah. or whatever and then there's like no we're, we're queer we are our own people with our own culture and our own history and that is what must be you know liberated so uh, it's funny how you know still th- these are conversations that I might be having with my friends you know and, and we still disagree and, and we talked about it in the Stonewall episode yeah, didn't we, about, yeah. and I think it's there's the um, in gentrification of the mind she, there's a quote that says um, the young can stay quiet because of the bold fury of the old right and to- and it's she speaks to some yeah some American gay rights activists who said yeah we fought for every we fought for kind of future generations to be able to make any choices, but it's hard not to be disappointed when they make choice, you know, conservative choices. And this is like that tug of like activism where you want all the doors to be open, but you can't help 
but wish they no one would walk through them anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just really tough. So this is really, really. I mean, it is. You're absolutely right. Things go round and round in circles. So but when, what was the culture like when you did adopt to formally in, include? bisexual and trans people in the pride movement was there then a big change in pride itself well it, it came in the last two years of the event that i was running right i i think it um i think it was it, it had to happen um because there was a tide of this coming from the states yeah. again yeah. you know britain has always i think in terms of its it's sort of like major jumps forward in 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 uh, sexual politics taken the lead from the states yeah well Written. stonewall and, well, you know. and totally and, and the feminism and all these other yeah. areas so there was de- there was definitely that that was happening in terms of the effect it had at the time um there was incredible levels of resistance okay um from people who might surprise you, you know people who mm-hmm. i mean surprised me people saying you know we can't put that in. Why are you including drag queens well, that's not about that you know that's that's mm. what, the, what the level was at um but we'd had a bit of taste of that because actually in 95, when we did the Pride event, I because we were trying to get as many people along to the event as possible, the thing that struck me that was a problem was that there were just not enough women at the event. So in 95, we had um, a, a lesbian visibility focus. In other words, we were right. trying to got lots of... And, the, and it worked a treat because, in fact, I was organising the march. I was always the march organiser. And uh, the march working group was actually 10 women and me. <laughs> so really? it really worked that year. Uh, but then, of course, these things, you know, it, it, it does tend to, to die out and you go back to the hardcore group that sort of continue doing it year from year to year. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so we'd seen when we'd done that, a huge outpouring of misogyny from um, uh, the mainly from the gay businesses uh-huh. saying, you know, this is you know, why, why, why are you giving lesbians the, you know, the front of the march? What, mm-hmm. What's the what's the, you know, why? Why is that a good? Why is there a women's tent? No men, man's kickback. Yeah. You know, we get you get boring stuff like that, which, yeah. um, you know, you just have to fend off. I mean, we got so much criticism that was that was, you know, nothing compared to the, some of the stuff we got. But uh, when it came to um, bisexual and transgender, it just um, seemed to me to be obvious that we should do that because it would put us on the same level as a lot of the other American prides, which we tend to look at and sort of think of these great you know, events. Mm. Actually, I'm not sure that's true. I think London Pride was actually in the 90s, even though I say so myself, one of the best in the world. Right. Um, uh, and and w- it was a way, perhaps, of leading um, uh, public opinion leading shaping it a little which was not like bashing people over the head with a sort of an argument mm-hmm. saying actually we're just going to call it now lgbt pride and it'll be called that forever okay yeah, yeah. when the pride trust actually folded because we did collapse which is a story in itself which we can come to there was a group of people who came along and decided that they would like to take over okay now i've always said that prides are actually designed to go bankrupt right so that's the point behind them in fact that's why they last is that you have this group of people who come along, they're very much part of their time, they put on the event, it's fantastic, it and goes they bankrupt, move on, yeah. they move on, fresh Someone people, fresh energy, yep. yes, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. So in fact, there's, you know, I've come to terms with that <laughs> since those days. But this bunch turned up, and the first thing they, they did was just knock the bisexual and the transgender out of the title. Right. So they started talking about there's been gay pride again. In fact, in fact, most of the time it was just pride. Yeah. And that was a problem, I thought. Mm. A bit retro- retrogressive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, going back a bit. Yeah. And the irony is that they tried to put on a festival, and two weeks before the event, they too went bankrupt. 
Right. Oh, you're supposed to go bankrupt after, not before. Yeah, you're meant to do some good and then <laughs> yes. fuck off. I, I did try not to have Schadenfreude. But anyway, um, but anyway um, the uh, good thing was that that year, 1998, when this bunch sort of folded, there was brought together, very short notice, a group of uh, organisations to organise the Pride March. Because although the festival had gone down, there was no you know, real cost connected to the march at all. No, you could no. just have a march. Yeah. And so that year, I think Stonewall and uh, I think they got, a, they got a bit of money from well, various places. I can't Virgin, maybe. I can't remember. Levi, somewhere like that. And quite a few people I, who I used to know who organised the march put the march together and you know if you read online the sort of the archive everybody says oh it was the best march we've ever had because you know it was like it's actually quite small as well mm. yeah yeah but i think this is you know another thing it was quite fascinating how the corporate thing which they reacted against when lagpoc became a company um is still the thing that's going on well, there. I, was, I, yeah. I was just about to ask you about this like as someone that's organized major pride events and festivals how important is financial backing from companies and from the commercial world so you have to remember how does that operate in manifest so so in my life in my time when i was doing it which was 92 through to 97 was my last one um we didn't have any money from anywhere else yeah so you know uh, section 28 made it impossible for public funders to support us. Mm -hmm. So we had to find some money from somewhere. The ways we could get money were we could um, sell the concessions at the event. In other words, the food, the beer, the merchandise. We could sell the magazine to somebody to do it. They'd take the advertising money. They would pay us to do that. That was one load. Then there was donations. So we tried to get the public to donate, but Mm -hmm. the pride public were notoriously... (laughs) 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 we didn't get a lot um and then there was the sponsors can you get anything for free from somebody can you Uh get a reduction or can you somebody please give you some money so and i i think that uh, by the time we got to 97 which was the last event the one that went bankrupt um and it went bankrupt for for basically budgetary reasons it was overspent um the festival itself was about £450,000 in cost, roughly, mm-hmm. and about half of that was um, was sponsorship. Right. And that included sponsors who wanted to have their logo on a banner on the stage. Yeah, you know? yeah. So that would include not only the commercial ones, but also people like the, like Unison was, was one, mm. of the, one of those people. And we would, it would, you know, it's a contract, it's not donation. So we would fulfil a contract, we would put their banner on the sure. stage. You know, looking back on it now, I wish that we had put something else on the stage as well. Maybe a big sign saying lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender pride, perhaps, or some comment like that. Right. Um, but in hindsight, you know, hindsight's a glorious thing. Um, we were the most sponsored gay event in Europe we were supposed to be the most, most sponsored gay pride event in Europe right. at the time. And um, we, of course, got massive, massive, massive levels of uh, criticism for of it. Of course. But the difference with us was that we were not charging people entry to the festival. Yeah. Yes. And we had 100 and... I think we had 200,000 people in, in, in the end, 250,000 uh-huh. people coming. So for a sponsor, 250,000 queer people who might buy their product, 
is that they're willing to pay. Yes. So. It's, it's, well, I mean, those discussions still exist, don't they? You've got, like, Culture Unstained, the organisation mm -hmm. that looks into where the money, you know, where arts gets money from, and this the idea of companies that do rather nefarious things being able to associate themselves with something a lot nicer than what they do. Yeah. Um, but then, on the other hand, you need money to make these things. Mm. Yeah, it's a balance. It's like anything, isn't it? I mean, you, we... In my time attending Pride, I remember the first time that Pride Glasgow started charging tickets and then the free Pride Glasgow event was born because of that. And, you know, free Pride had no money, but it was a lot more interesting yeah. it, because the nature of the Pride meant that it had to be resourceful and it used people from the community. Yeah, they didn't have the big headliners, but they'd have like emerging artists and like be held at like the art school as a space as opposed to george square but I, I think there's a certain nature in something that doesn't have backing financially that makes it more for the community by the community like sure certainly now with london trans pride you know that just happened there was such an authenticity because that was actually pretty big right yeah. it didn't have any like major like commercial sponsorship it's organized by the community for the community but it it remained very big and still had attraction from you know like people that would draw attention such as like Bimini off Drag Race, Monroe Bergdorf, these big personalities and, and, and celebs of the scene that are big voices that were able to lend their support but in a way that you didn't have like a Barclays Bank sticker plastered which was quite refreshing in a way so it meant that it, it just showed that we could do something authentic, big and noteworthy with media attraction that still didn't have commercial backing, which was quite refreshing, I think. But it's a balance. It's like, you know, as you say, like, these things need money to exist and to, and to be great. You know, if, if, if people want to attend Pride and have Boy George headlining, then, you know, you're going to need to... Mm. We talked money. about this with the Gorilla Girls and uh, the episode we did on them and their kind of focus on... You know, we accept that the world of fine art is going to be run by a small number of incredibly wealthy people. Then our focus is going to be how can we hold them to account? Right. When you put money into the arts to make the arts world run, then on the other hand, the arts world can say, "Can you answer for these things that you're, you know, big pharma or whatever?" Mm. Okay, can it can work two ways, can't it? And that that's an interesting kind of shift of power dynamic where. You can say thank you very much for the money, but I still think you need to stop generating an opioid crisis, for right, example. Right, right. Yeah. But I think accessibility is really important, and that's maybe what's been slightly skewed if we look at the London Pride movement now. It's like, because what is really apparent to me, Adam, is like, yeah, okay, you had like sponsorship, but it was a free event that was accessible. And I think for many reasons you know like I, last time I went to Pride in London like you, you know you have to register to march and you'll be kind of like shoved to the back because all the big sponsors need to be at the front with their massive fuck off floats and blocks and stuff and then you know there's not much service to the community it feels and then at the moment there's just like board after board resigning and internal struggle and like money disappearing and racism and it's just like meanwhile the community is we're looking after each other and just trying to like 
go ahead, like, you know, fighting for each other. And there's just this kind of crumbling mess. You know, it was just announced, like, yesterday or the day before that it's not going ahead again. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, okay, great. You just continue with your fucking mess over there. Meanwhile, we're going to, we will show up for each exactly. other, you know? Yeah, quite. So there's been the Reclaim Pride uh, yeah. movement. I mean, Peter Tatchell, who's behind that, of course, was 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 on my back as well. <laughs> of in, course. In, in 1990. Would have been that niggling voice. Oh, in God, yeah. just Peter and me. But anyway, so I don't know whether you've seen the... Um, the film was uh-huh. hating, yeah. hating, yeah. hating yeah. the uh, hating Peter Tatchell, the one that Elton John's made, um, and it's quite amusing that to sort of see see Peter and the people who I know that he was working with, like Angela Mason and so on, and they all sort of occasionally say, "Yes, but he wasn't always helping." Yeah, <laughs> yeah of yeah. course. And I think that's probably his. I think it would be what I would say the tagline, the tagline, <laughs> yeah. the hashtag for Peter Tatchell, not always helping. So yeah, so we so there's always been that um, big row about there's always the pride pride row there's always you know um uh, coruscating uh, letters in the press there's always extremely huffy um resignations i mean that is just like yeah. pride pride, you know, pride par for course yeah, 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 yeah basically every pride certainly in europe certainly in north america has has gone through that and probably goes through it on a regular recurring basis so no no surprises there but the the, the problem with the... I mean, I'm not going to stick out for all the Pride organisers, certainly not for the Pride London ones, because I have made those mistakes as well. But generally speaking, the people who are trying to organise these things are trying to do it in the, for, for the best intentions. Of course, yeah. And they're absolutely sure that this will work, <coughs> and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's no forgiveness from the, from the gay press or the gay community, LGBT, uh, certainly in social media time, is that anything like that goes wrong, it goes wrong massively and yeah. publicly. Yeah. And sometimes it's it, the, the stress and the strain around that is just too much for people and they just go. Yeah, of course. Certainly what I found. When, when um, we did the event in 97, it all seemed to be absolutely tickety-boo. We had a huge um, collection from the gay collection. It was like nearly um, nearly a quarter of a million pounds. People had just sort of chucked three pounds or two pounds into, a, into the buckets as they came through. Absolutely enormous. Thought we'd cleared not only the, the paid paid for the festival, but also cleared the debts of the event for the previous years. In fact, we did pay those off, and then discovered that because the site the site uh, fencing hadn't been completed, our insurance policies were re- invalidated. This is in Clapham Common when we did this event, and so we had to pay forty grand out mm-hmm. in order to cover things which had been stolen, which including generators and I mean tents and things like this. You can believe, and someone, you know, who will remain nameless, um, had not kept an eye on the budget and it had ended up going over by about 80 grand. Oh. And there was lots of other uh, dramas going on. So, course. yeah, there's nightmare after nightmare. That would, but I think yeah. the interesting thing about this was that the amount of money we actually owed was relatively small. So, in fact, if somebody had thrown us a lifeline and given us a bit of cash, we would have sorted it out. Sure. But I think that people in, say, the community, the business community, gay, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender business community, had thought, actually, we don't really need pride trust and that kind of pride anymore. Uh-huh. It's like the zeitgeist had moved on. You know, yeah. it's maybe time for you to move on. Maybe some new people should come in and do it. And, I, and we didn't get much support, if any. We tried to refloat the company, but it was just a complete failure. And, the other, and this other group came together who, again, I don't really think knew what they were talking about. (laughs) 
But what happened that year was kind of the, you know, the queer god, goddess smiled on us and she said, no, there's not going to be a festival this year because right. it's all a pile of shit. Right, yeah. <laughs> so None of you of are shit. getting it. None of you are getting it. It's finished. And then it was wiped out for a couple of years. And the guys who took over, in fact, London Mardi Gras, and they took over um, and there was a real groundswell of, a fit of, 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 of support for them. And you could really see that groups that would normally not be talking to Pride or not talking to each other even were willing to go together under one umbrella. And Mar- London Mardi Gras came along. And of course, London Mardi Gras lasted for a bit and then it went as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it just, it, and they chose the name Mardi Gras, by the way, because, um, quote, the Pride brand has been damaged. Unquote. Right. Oh, good. But to go back to that thing, Peter's tagline of not always helping, I think, <laughs> I think that is... The reality of any activism. I was going to say that. I that think is, like every me, great activist would have that tagline, I suppose, wouldn't they? I rem- you know, there's there are people that I really admire for one part of their beliefs or their work, and then I hear their opinion on something else, yeah. and I think, oh Christ! It, but but then learning, none, no one needs to do everything all the time. No one can be perfect all the time, yeah. and it's about direction of travel. Like I remember reading The Female Unit and being delighted that Jermaine Greer had written it, hearing her talk about trans people and thinking, yeah. what, stop talking absolute shite. But then learning that your absolute shite over here doesn't invalidate all your other stuff. If we're moving in one direction, it's fine. Well, it's also knowing, yeah, again, when to move on. Like right, pride exactly. Organizations, it's like, right, you can That's shut up now. now. You've done your bit. Right, Someone move else on. Come <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's something quite liberating about things not having to last forever, right? There's like... We were talking in the car about some like friendships and relationships. Yeah. Sometimes they exist for a while and then sometimes they end and it doesn't need to be a bad thing. And then it doesn't always have to be painted as failure when something no. does what it needs to do for the world. Serves it's, its purpose. And then it's, it stops and someone else comes in. It's very dangerous when things get sort of bedded in and you've got like boards that have been in existence for like 25 years it gets staggering exactly yeah yeah i think that may be the period that we find ourselves in now you know i'm like i think some of the most exciting prides for me have been the last two years because the last one you know last one was the first one that was cancelled during covid and i remember marching on what would have been london pride and it was essentially like an all black lives uk march where it was like the black trans life was the focus and that, that never would have happened had it not been like for covid and then the blm resurgence of the blm movement like yeah. during that time and it was one of the most authentic pride marches i've ever been on because it was like called really last minute but massive turnout because everyone didn't have anything else so you know people could go to it. it was really accessible and we just fucking took to the streets and it was amazing and then more recently as i've said with london trans pride it was just like again something that was like super authentic and it's like okay so we might have a slight misdirection or strange transitory period with like official pride boards but yet there seems to be a really clear and exciting sense of community and activism bubbling up because of that so it's like if there's no clear direction from the top then 
the community itself kind of turns in and goes, right, what can we do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not a bad thing. Mm, exactly. It's quite an exciting time. Yeah, so the organisation that runs it, puts it together, does all the work and, and, and she stages it on the day, makes sure nobody dies as a result. Of Which, of course, camera. we need. Yeah. We need that. But we, but it's not that's not the purpose of it, as it were. Yeah. That's not the first thing. The important mm. thing is that it does exist. And this is one of the things that we always felt when we were doing it, is that we couldn't just arbitrarily decide something um and it all you know just and then everybody would just turn up you know because we 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 could never take the 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 lgbt communities for granted yeah they would they would like Support. what we were doing yeah, yeah and in yeah. fact we could tell i mean i don't think any organization got as much it's certainly my time i never saw any organization getting as, getting as much criticism as we did right. mm. but at the same time i can't think of any other organization which changed as much as we did in mm -hmm. order to make it to make a, to answer as much as we could the criticism we didn't always get it right but there was a this 94 event which was like um uh, a cl classic example it was the 25th anniversary the 94 event was the one i was the i was that was the one i was the chair for and it comes after the age of consent vote and suddenly it's where the community is absolutely at its most political i think i've ever seen it ever and you know where the pride event is happening so of course immediately everybody says we must have a political pride march it's mm -hmm. got to be political and of course all my colleagues are like oh my god you know they're like you know, outrage and oh god what can you do so i said look be fine we'll just invite outrage and stonewall to to organize the march with us and everybody's like oh, you know, <laughs> pearl clutching horror but anyway, <laughs> we, you know we did that and it and it was a fantastic march i mean yeah. it was um 50,000 people or something like that marching and the other thing that happened was that we had had these strange marches that sort of started off in the embankment or wherever and went to you know a park which we'll never go to again yeah um in your life and um we needed a more high profile route so i had to negotiate um a much much more high profile route for the march mm. um which I'm proud to say, I think has been used for you know years afterwards by everybody else. Um, which is the one that takes you down um, Whitehall, past Downing Street, uh -huh. past the Hyde Park, and round the back into uh, Victoria. That was a, that was my march. Mm. The jeans route. That was a jeans route, and and um, we also needed to have a name or a theme for it. So we had Equality and Freedom Now. Uh -huh. uh, twenty five years out and proud. Equality and Freedom Now, because it was twenty five years after Stonewall. And you showed us that Yeah, the lovely banner. banner. Who was that, it designed by again? That was a guy called Chris Sanders who um, made, made the banners, made all the banners for Pride. I don't know whether he's still around. <laughs> but if he is, thank you, Chris. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a multicoloured uh, extravaganza, a rainbow flag. Yeah. You know? Yes. This sort of, it epitomises for me what the 90s were all about, actually, because we, we talk about queer politics, but there was also this other thing called freedom. Mm -hmm. Everything was called freedom. That was the freedom flag. We had a freedom bar. You know, there was freedom camps. There was this lifestyle event called Freedom Fair. And it was freedom, freedom, freedom. Yeah. And, and it, this was kind of, for, for me, the freedom thing always sort of talks about the monetary side. That's the mm -hmm. business, the pink pound, the making the money out of it. And the queer politics is very much about the social and uh, ethical and moral development of the open gay, bisexual, transgender community, you know, that, that in the in broadest sense. And these two strands were running all the way through Pride. So we were always working with the business people, but we were also working with these um, political people. And we had 
this March planning meeting where we had to decide on how to divide up the march, you know, make it into these little subgroups. So you would have a section for, for parenting rights and things like that. And they wanted to be a big banner at the front, and there was a proposal, and I forget it, who, who made the proposal, that the banner should say, remember Stonewall was a riot. There's a picture of There's it There's a beautiful yeah. photo here. Yeah, which is being, the banner is being carried by, I think, 10 or 11 um, Judy Garland lookalikes mm-hmm. in, in her Get Happy costume with the, with the trilby and the evening suit. And, um, of course, Stonewall, the lobby group, didn't really want to be associated with the Ah, riot. yes. And they said, oh, we don't know about that. But it went ahead because that's what people wanted. Fantastic. So it's, a, it's um, always the tension was there, but definitely between um, the Stonewall side of the world and the outrage side of the world. I think what you said before about the liberationist and assimilationist thing, I think that is also behind the party versus the politics yep. thing. Yes. I think it's. I think it's. A, it's. It's behind everything, and it's. It, it, people there's like we were at such a stage in our development that we needed to make progress in both those areas. We did need to make progress in terms of our own financial independence, mm-hmm. economic uh, platform. Yeah, because what I've and been our political platform. Thinking well. about is like you know yes, a, a pride festival can't. A Pride Festival, as we know it, may need money, but like, what about a Pride Festival that was resourceful, that didn't aspire to be something that needed all that money, yeah. you know? Where really, because it has happened with, you know, yes, right. Free Pride in Glasgow when it was dead small, like, the community showed up and made it happen, performed, ran events, you know, got the generators, like, like we, d- you know, you because it. we think of a big sparkly. Trafalgar Square main stage mm. big pop headliner thing you know we go we need money we need to be sponsored by it but like if we really wanted a community funded resourced and foreign by pride event we could make that happen mm. so it's it's obviously about the, well, the could, way the, the wave comes it's, in it's, but great, it's great to have a party and all the rest of it and I, and I, I have a lot of sympathy with pride organisers who do want to do it well yeah. But I mean, I read the other day about Manchester Pride and them choosing to defund this um, uh, safer sex kits that their packs have yeah. been doing. There. And I and they char- And I was I was sort of like raising my eyebrows. And in, in all sort of like sisterly support to Manchester Pride, because you know as a former event manager, I understand exactly what you're going through. But you know, seventy five quid to go into the event. For a start, so the seventy-five pound, and mm-hmm. secondly, your chief, the chief exec, is paid ninety grand a year. Yeah, and I think, this well, is where it becomes that's it's running like a business. Exactly, know? that's there with the issues. So I tell you a funny story. In ninety-seven, when um, we were looking to recruit a new chief executive for the Pride Trust, um, that full-time paid post was one of only seven Pride full-time paid posts in the world. Mm. Wow! Yeah. So it was. Houston, San Diego, Atlanta, uh, San Francisco, and there were two people in Sydney and um, and somebody in London. So London really was um, a w- way ahead of a lot of other places. And I think it's always uh, been ahead in lots of different ways. Um, a lot of other places have caught up with that now. You know, Manchester clearly has. You know. um, uh, but you has to have a purpose to the commercialism. 
you, the purpose we had, all the commercial stuff we were doing, we were poor as church mice. We was basically to put the event on because we just didn't have an entry fee. Yeah. Yeah. I remember us having a meeting actually in '96 when we actually said, "Should we have a meeting?" Oh, we had a proud, a pride row about it as well. We had resignations and everything. <laughs> the um, classical, you know, it was like saying, you know, um, you know, we can't run this organisation; it's going to go bankrupt. Ironically, they were correct. Um, but if we don't have an entry, if we don't have an entry charge, uh-huh. but it was fundamental to my thinking as the chair that you cannot force people to pay to be gay yeah yes. it's just absolutely not on and if you're a pride organizing thing now maybe at that time we needed the we needed the numbers on the streets etc etc now there are lots of other options mm-hmm. you can go to a pride festival you can go to the march definitely do that that's important but maybe the march should be free and the festival paid and then somebody else over here might be holding a garden party and somebody else might be doing something else there's a lot more variety, and we have Pride Month. We don't have Pride Day. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a whole different world now, and I think the commercialism question has to be... You have to scrutinise anybody who's using the name Pride Yes. for how, well, who's getting the money in the end. Yeah, exactly. And that's you know, going to be about community reinvestment. It's going to be about all sorts of other things. Yeah, because meanwhile, I mean, the big thing for, for me that you'll have heard me bang on about is like the people that remain kind of most marginalised in their communities are the same people that were most marginalised and kicked back first, you know, to, for for the fight. So it's like, it, it always just makes me think, you know, who should, what are we still trying to achieve? And it's the same. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the people that, I was reading a thing today, there's a book out edited by Amelia Abraham called We Can Do Better Than This, bringing together like 35 voices on talking about gay liberation and where we're at now and around the world and whatever. And today, one of the founders of the Instagram um, LGBT history page was talking about queer history and how important it is. And, And still, because, you know, ultimately, we need to know what we're building upon, but also actually not, it's not changed in the sense that the people that remain most marginalised are still most marginalised. So, like, actually, it's not even... It's not changed. Like, it's still, like... A lot's changed, but that simple thread of, like, people needing pride or, the, the you know, for the same reason that they needed pride and needed Stonewall. Yeah. So I think it's, it's like, that. there's not really an argument there for, like, let's just have a party. It's like, well, no, there's still, <laughs> still work going on, you know? And, and with our own community, you know, I hate when... There's infighting and whatever. It's just like we should really try and come, you know, find solidarity everywhere we can. It's a big problem with activism. Is like so much energy the is left wasted and split like and fighting like... with each other. And there was a we did a we did a survey. Here are the very results of the survey in '97 yeah. at the festival, and it says something like only. Well, I would say only something like uh, at the festival, forty percent of the people had been on the march. So okay. 60% of the people had not been on the march. And mm-hmm. in here it also talks about, do you think that Pride should have you know, political mm-hmm. focus and that sort of thing? And generally, the people who are over 35, what were you saying about the older generations? <laughs> generation, the older people are actually really in favour of having a political yeah. subject. The younger people, certainly in 1997, Just wanted, a wanted to have a party. party. See, this is what I think we're seeing a bit of a full circle moment, because I think, yeah, I think that... Younger over. people now, I think so. it's turned over. 
like certainly with my generation now you're seeing people with social media like way more engaged way more switched absolutely. on absolutely well also the the climate i i don't know if the the government and and political climate is all that different to 80s and well, not, not, like, like, it's not. Do you know what I mean? Look at, like, do you know what I mean? It's like, don't trust me. We're seeing it's better a, now. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's really like, better now. It's really like, better now. We we kind of like are see, seeing. I think people are like access to information is a lot greater, so people are able to become enlightened about certain things a lot quicker, and and therefore like want to do something about it. So yeah, but there's I more, think there's more reli- unreliable sources. Well, basically. that's the thing as well. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, always check where you're getting your information from. But yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. I like, I think there is a a political shift towards, like pride having a. I mean, I think it could be that there is a parallel here with the early nineties queer politics, the young younger generation moving in a, a direction which the older generation were not were a bit slow at taking. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think that's absolutely what might happen, and I, you know, I've celebrated. I think absolutely. it's fantastic. There's a there's a like the that amount of energy has to go somewhere, and sometimes it flows to a different group of people, and they they go on and do it. It's great. It has yeah. to happen like that. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a quantum of stuff that flows around the world. And I guess this is why it's important as well. Like what you just said to me, like absolutely, it is better now, and like what, like we should never take for granted is like the history of what came before. I think it's so, it's really important. So, like so important. I mean, I'd say this fest, this march, this nineteen ninety four march, which I still think is like a real, a really important landmark. Yeah, it is. Happening yeah. in that year, the people marching on that march had none of the um, human rights That's that right. everybody has right. in the community now. Right. So there was like complete carte blanche to discriminate against those individuals. Yeah. There's the in the gentrification of the mind she talks about the fact that because there weren't equal rights and spousal rights, it was a big part of the fact that the AIDS crisis fed into the gentrification of New York because it basically meant that rent control almost disappeared mm. because you couldn't pass on apartments from same sex partners. Yeah. So suddenly there was this like massive Shift massive economic shift as a result of that. Like, suddenly, suddenly, all this property was on the market, which right. could be grabbed by the developers. Yeah, which wouldn't have been the case. You know, I mean, the village, for example. That's would a fa- that would be a fascinating bit of research to do. Absolutely. Uh, to see how, what the demographic and and the, the urban landscape difference was. Definitely, and and it's it's that's a really interesting kind of point. That that kind of, if you use that as the point of entry to understand. And I think that's sometimes with any of these activist issues, you understand that even though you're talking about a specific issue, be that about inheritance or be that about you know maternity or whatever it is, has massive impact. Like it, there's ripples throughout. Which is always why I think that there's people who feel like oh those things don't affect me, which is why they don't engage with whatever. But it actually all does. Yeah, of course. You all yeah. the time, you know. Well, also like I was listening to like a look speak on the man enough podcast about you know so it was like essentially like talking about the broader issue of this podcast talks about the broader kind of issue around masculinity and gender characteristics and how that can affect you know cisgender men and and ultimately everyone but what Alok was talking about is someone who's like trans non-binary was how gender politics actually affects everyone you know a lot of people look at like the trans argument and Gender nonconformity is something that's so far removed from what they experience as a cisgender person. But what you know they were trying to talk about is how 
all of these things that could be necessarily branded as like queer politics and the queer agenda actually affect us all in our lives because there's expectations and 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 discriminations and restrictions that affect every single person sure. regardless of your mm-hmm. orientation. So I think that queer politics feeds feeds into everyone's mm-hmm. life. Really. And then you see, you see about the individual, you know, a queer person is also, um, you know, either a man or woman, non-binary, trans, whatever. In addition, they're also a worker. Mm-hmm. Totally. In addition, they have, you know, their mother or father did a particular job at the age of 14. Right. In a particular class, supposedly. Yep. Right. You know, all these... Im- Intersectionality, every, And they're, yeah. they're also a brother or a sister or they're a lover or they're a, a father or a mother or whatever. So it's... A, it's it, there's many different identities that, that affect people. Yeah. Right. When when society latches onto one of those identities and says actually you are completely outside of our legal system and and beyond the pale, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that is when things like queer politics and, and definitely you know, trans rights and so move, suddenly move. They, it becomes a thing. The yeah. Want to support yeah. It. And it, it, but it yeah. is very much kind of a, a dictated, I think, by the way that society moves. Yeah. And in this case, the society we had then in the 90s was worse than the one we yeah. have now, uh-huh. yeah. I think. And um, I certainly have, I've, I felt a lot more comfortable now than I did then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was doing activism work then and I wasn't, I'm not doing it now. Because then I thought, right, I've got to put things right. Yeah. Things have got to be different. And there were lots of other people who wanted to do that with me. Mm-hmm. But now actually, I feel actually in, in terms of my life and, you know, trying to be as good an ally as possible I don't feel I need to go to the level of becoming an activist I can do that support in lots of other ways yeah talking and thinking and and you know remembering things like this the yeah stuff. well you put in a pretty good shift as well oh yeah you put in a good shift <laughs> but also it's, it's what you say as well that the direction of energy changes this fresher you know, you people get battle weary mm-hmm. and jaded, and mm-hmm. and don't we don't all have all the answers? You know, like I'm sure, I hope that there comes a point where I don't, you know, where my activism takes different manifestations at a certain point in my life, and then someone gets to sit where I am just now and say thank right. you to you. Do you know what I mean? It's it's it. That's a healthy, healthy thing, and it's a beautiful thing because thank. God is better than it was, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you know, the, all these marches, you join them all up together, they form one very long march, which mm. goes all the way from, the, from you know, way back in, in the history of time to now. And yeah. that's the great thing about it. There's always more marching. Yeah. Yes. Forward, forward, forward. That feels like a nice place to have, have yeah, a Yeah, keep, keep marching, we'll have a little break. Yeah, have a little coffee and then we'll come back. All right, see you in a bit. All right, bye.